and welcome to another ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and with action taking place this week in Europe, the States and South America, we hear from some of the biggest names in the game and some others looking to make a name for themselves. But we start right at the pinnacle with a young man who's back in action in Rio and looking to build on one of the finest breakthrough seasons of all time. Well, there's so much to love about this young man's game. He's got it all. Hey, one more. The 18-year-old becomes the youngest champion at ATP 500 level. He masters the field in Miami. Carlos Alcaraz is the champion. Total domination. If 2021 was when Carlos Alcaraz became known by avid tennis fans, 2022 was definitely the year he announced himself to the world, capturing titles in Rio, Miami, Barcelona, Madrid, and of course, at the US Open. In winning at Flushing Meadows, he matched the feat of his mentor and coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero, by going to number one in the world. And he went one better than him by ending the year at the top. ATP 500 level. It has been a, a dream season for, for me. Uh, at the beginning, I, I remember that the, I didn't expect the season that, I, that I'm having. So many titles, big titles. You know, my first one is uh, when I won Miami. Welcome as the sun shines on the second Masters 1000 event of the season. The ATP Tour has arrived in Miami. Carlos Alcaraz a point away from becoming the youngest champion in tournament history. Carlos Alcaraz shines brightest in the Sunshine State as champion of the Miami Open. When Juan Carlos come back to Miami for the final, I could celebrate the, the, the win with him. He's so, so special. He came here believing in himself that he's going to win the tournament. And I, I, it's the truth. Because he goes to the court and he believes in himself and he thinks he's going to win. Doesn't matter who's going to play. Simply incredible. You have to believe in yourself. Uh, you have to believe that uh, you can win uh, every match, uh, every tournament. You know, I want more, you know, in, in every tournament. And yeah, I, I would say that's the, the, the key of, of everything, to, to believe in, in yourself. And uh, Juan Carlos told you in last year that the, yeah, I'm, I'm able to do uh, everything, you know, in, in every match. Well, there's so much to love about this young man's game. Viva España! Viva Carlito! Carlos Alcaraz is the 2022 Barcelona Open Bank Sabadell champion. It's always special to, to play in front from your crowd, your people, playing the, at home. Welcome to the Mutua Madrid Open. The fourth Masters 1000 of the year boasts the best lineup at any tournament so far in 2022. day in the young career of Carlos Alcaraz. He becomes the first player ever to defeat Nadal and Djokovic back-to-back -back on a clay court. 
Carlos Alcaraz is the champion in Madrid. An hour of total domination. For me, uh, be able to, to win the, the tournament in front of my, my friends, family, that it's difficult to travel with me and uh, see my, my, my matches. So having them in the, in the crowd, in the box, is so, so special. And this moment with them is uh, really, good, uh, really good for me. He delights the home fans inside the Caja Magica. I've been waiting to ask you this. You've now beaten three of the top four players, won two Masters 1000 within a few months. Do you think you can win a Grand Slam? Uh, yes. He's elevated his game to a different level this year. It feels like the sky's the limit for him, doesn't it? certainly embraces the pressure of these big moments. Playing the best, and this man is on a mission to be the best. The mentality, I would say that's the key to to be the top, uh, well, to be in the in the top, to win the the, the tournament that I that I won. Tennis player schedule is uh, so long, you know, the year is so so long, and you have to to be prepared to to stay to stay calm, to to be your 100% in the, the the whole year, you know, to be to be strong in, in the tough moments. I would say that's the the key. Yeah, it was a great moment. Honestly, when I talked with my father, he was the, the first person that uh, I talked. Uh, I was uh, like tears. I wanted to say thank you to to my family, uh, to my team. Uh, I mean, without without them, none of this uh, would be possible. So I want to thank thank them. The hard work that, that I put there every day since I started playing tennis a long time. I go uh, every tough moment uh, pays off and uh, I, I deserve I deserve the, this moment with all my team. First of all I have to to know that the, I'm gonna lose the, the number one but the, I have to to be prepared to to work hard to to come back to, to number one, you know, but it's, it's still training and giving the, the 100% every day and, of course, still learning every day. That's, I would say that's the, the key to, to stay in the top. Viene del Palmar, Murcia, España. Su nombre es Carlos Alcaraz. It's great to have Carlos Alcaraz back out on court this week in South America, as it has been also to see Alexander Zverev in action in Rotterdam. Having spent much of 2022 recovering from snapped ankle ligaments, he put his downtime to good use, as he told Richard Connolly. Sasha, it's good to see you back on tour. What is it like to be back? I've missed it. It's been uh, quite a while for me. I mean, I, I, think, I don't think I've ever been away from tennis for, for that long in my life. So um, I've obviously missed it. Of course, uh, there's still a lot of hard work ahead of me. Um, I think it, it is getting a lot better since since Australia and um, yeah I mean I'm just happy to be playing on tour again be playing inside of the big stadiums and be surrounded by the best players in the world. 
the tour's been such a huge part of your life from mm -hmm. before you were even a, a tour player. So what did you miss the most? To be honest, the, the competition and being out on the court, um, that is still what, what I love to do. This is, this is still what uh, you know, motivates me every day, playing in front of 10, 15,000 people. That is, you know, that is something that you, you just cannot uh, get anywhere else, that feeling. So um, I've definitely been missing that. And um, yeah, the, the competition is something that you just, you just cannot get somewhere else in life. How steep has been the curve of your improvement since you've come back? Um, in Australia, it was obvious that I'm not going to be playing my best tennis. It was obvious that I'm going to be very far away, but um, I'm, I'm getting closer, I think, and it, it is improving. So hopefully, um, I definitely feel a lot better than, than I have uh, since the injury. Uh, this is probably the best I've felt since the injury, but Again, there's there's other guys that have been on tour the whole time, and there's other guys that that have been winning tournaments, have been reaching Grand Slam finals, and all of that. But uh, I'm I'm ready to compete again. One thing that that happened while you were away from the tour, I mean, you made it happen, is the creation of the Alexander Zverev Foundation. Yeah. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that and why it's so important to you. It's to help kids and adults and people all the world over the world with. Diabetes. I think that is a illness that is not talked about a lot because I think in countries like Germany, like the U.S., like um, other rich countries, I would say, uh, you can live with it quite a normal life. But um, that is that is not always the case. Not uh, everywhere else in the world because a lot of places like um, a lot of places in Africa, a lot of places in, a in Asia as well, um, some places in South America. Um, the medicine is not always there because the, the country is not as well run as probably maybe Germany or the US or Britain or France or you know th those kind of countries so um, that is one part I want I want to to make sure that everyone around the world and I'm sure that I will not be able to do it by myself there, there's no way uh, I can do it by myself but I want to you know make sure that a lot of the people can live a normal life and can live a fulfilled life uh, with with this illness, uh, the way I can, the way of uh, the way that millions of other people in Germany and the U.S. can as well. Um, and the, the second part is also, I think, you know, when you get this illness at a young age, you have a lot of doubt in you, and I think um, people give you a lot of doubt as well because I've always had doctors, I've always had people telling me that. With an illness like that, you will never be able to be a professional athlete, not at a physical sport like tennis is. And um, I want to make sure that the message is out there that you really can and that you shouldn't put limits on yourself just because you have an illness like that. And I'm sure that a lot of kids and a lot of parents, especially of these kids, uh, can look at athletes like myself, as maybe Nacho Fernandez, who plays for Real Madrid, who has this illness as well and say, you know, it, it is possible, and, and you know, and then, then that you can uh, become whatever you want with, with an issue like that. Allow me to say it's remarkable to learn that you've been living with this all the time we've known you on tour. Why reveal it now and how does it feel to have revealed it? Oh, it feels amazing. It feels like, a, you know, a stone coming off my shoulders in a way. Um, but why now? Because for a long period, I didn't feel comfortable with it. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, trauma 
from the past, maybe in a way. Um, you know, a lot of uh, you know, for example, in school I was uh, maybe bullied a little bit for it because you know, kids when they're nine, ten, eleven years old, they don't really realize why they do it. It's just like another thing they can they can bully you for in a way. So um, I in that kind of probably. I took that with me for a long time and I was still trying to hide that from the tennis world, the, the media, um, other players as well because I just didn't feel comfortable with it. And at some point, you know, I thought to myself, I am an Olympic champion. I won the World Finals twice. I was w number two in the world. Um, and maybe in a way I can help those kids that were that are in my situation right now, I can help them in that way and kind of have a person that they can rely to in a way um, you know and, 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 and make it public and tell my story so they they don't feel they don't feel as alone as they probably are sometimes. How difficult has it been to manage this illness while you've played at the top level of tennis in the in the whole world? Well I had it since I'm three years old so I don't know anything else uh, for me this is just a normality of things but I think with, with, with medicine and with obviously uh, technology, it's getting easier. Uh, before you had to do everything manually, you had to measure your sugar manually, you had to inject yourself. Uh, I remember a time when you had to really take a, um, like you had a glass bottle and you had to take the insulin out of it into a, how do you call those things? Like a, like a tube, like a test exactly, tube? Exactly, like a tube and then put it inside yourself. So now it's just a pen that goes into your leg quickly. You can. Uh, and then you can kind of move on with your day. I have a chip on my body somewhere which shows me my, my sugar at all, at all times. So the technology is improving. But I think the most difficult part, you know, when is probably for the parents. You know, when your kid is two, three, four years old and becomes a diabetic, the kid doesn't really realize what's happening. You know, you, know, you, you, you feel a little bit worse. You have to inject yourself sometimes before eating. You have to... Uh, maybe watch out what you're eating sometimes, but I think for the parents it's a, it's a bigger stress because um, they don't really know much about it. They don't know what's coming ahead for them. They're they're probably scared as well in a way because it is a big change for them. Uh, so I think for them, I also want to to kind of give a little bit of an inspiration and um, be able to talk about it and say, look, it is what it is. It's obviously not something that you wish for. But uh, again, your, your child or you yourself, you can live a fulfilled life and uh, become whatever you want with it. The best of luck to Sasha Zverev for all he's doing to raise awareness and help people around the world living with diabetes. While Zverev was in action on court, former Wimbledon champion Richard Krejcik was in charge of it in his role as tournament director in Rotterdam. Well, here we are uh, backstage at the ABN AMRO Open. It's a special year this year. They are celebrating the 50th edition of this fine 500 event on the ATP Tour. And joining us on the ATP podcast, I'm thrilled to say, is tournament director Richard Krejcik. Richard, thank you for inviting us into your office. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Happy uh, to talk to you. And it's so good to talk to you too, because you are right at the center of this event and have been for some time. Just give us an idea of, of what this event has, has meant to you and how it's helped you transition from player into your, your second career. Because 
that transition can never be easy. And you retired fairly young by modern standards, at least I think yeah. at 31. Exactly. Yeah, I retired uh, young and not, um, uh, I say, voluntarily. I mean, uh, my uh, my elbow uh, yeah, was very bad. I didn't play for 20 months. Then I played for sort of a year and then I just couldn't, couldn't play anymore. So if you even calculate those that time, I already uh, retired at 28 almost. So a uh, long rehab uh, period. Uh, anyway, so retired and then yeah i got the offer to become tournament director uh for of this tournament the biggest tournament we have in holland and yeah i thought it was a great way to stay close to tennis and not have to travel too much because i had a young family uh, my, my daughter was uh, f four or five years old uh, son two or three years old and um yeah, and, and tennis, there are not many jobs to, to have or you have to uh, re-educate yourself uh, or educate yourself and do something completely uh, uh, different. So, but uh, I thought, wow, this is a great way to stay with tennis and, and you travel still to the, to the big tournaments sometimes. So you stay in contact also with tennis, but never more than four days, five days. You know, if you become a coach, you're 30, 40 weeks on the road. And I didn't want to do that. So um, yeah, uh, I, 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 I did this first year and uh, um, yeah, I really liked it. You know, I, I was very lucky that the ABN tournament is, 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 is such a big tournament and it's such a very good team. It's got a team of eight, 10 people like, uh, that, that do everything uh, from media, from selling, uh, all that. Uh, and I'm just a part of it, you know, I'm just, uh, as a tournament director, I'm part of, um, uh, my responsibility is talk to the media, I'm talking to you now. And uh, I'm the face in the way of the tournament, so also when I'm walking around, the people come to me, VIP people, but also the regular crowd. Uh, I talk to the players, I talk to the ATP, and, and that's my strength, basically. And then the other people uh, do other things, and together we make as successful as possible tournament. So I could really only focus on my strength. I didn't have to worry about, like, how do I sell sponsorship, or how do I build... Uh, all the VIP boxes, or how do I talk to suppliers, and and uh, so it was it was such a perfect tournament, and uh, you, you, uh, because I was asked to do this, you 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 come in a company uh, in, in an event that wants you, you know, nothing as bad as that you're forced upon uh, that maybe one person thinks is a good idea, but yeah, so it really felt so welcome and gave me time to grow. My first year was in a way successful year, but was also a tough year for me. And uh, after the, the second, uh, after the third edition, I really got the hang of it. And now, yeah, that, it's, so, it's so nice. It's only, I only enjoy it, even the bad years. Uh, of course, the, the, uh, it makes me sad, you know, I'm mean, like, mm, this is not the year how we wanted it. But even even that is like, okay, we work together as a team and yeah, okay, this year not so great. Next 51 weeks, we'll work hard again and we're going to make the best tournament. And just the satisfaction of trying to make the best tournament as possible and uh, and things that work out, we're happy and things that don't work out, it's okay, we, we, we cry together. And when we, 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 we do well, we celebrate together. And that's a nice feeling to be part of such a great team. Still cry after all these years <laughs> if, I, if I can just finish with one thing I wonder if the thing that makes you the most proud is to see how many young people there are backstage at this event and how much entertainment there is for them and how so many of them must get a feel for a love for tennis from having visited the event that you that you direct so successfully 
Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, we try to appeal to all the tennis fans and also gain new tennis fans. And uh, we have with the Kids Day, uh, but also in our team, there's a lot of young people just coming out of college also helping out. And uh, so uh, we, we stay, you know, I'm one of uh, me and, and the project, the, the the director of Ahoy, one of the few uh, old people basically uh, here. So uh, I like how young and uh, yeah, vibrant uh, we are actually as a, as a team. So... Uh, yeah, I really enjoy enjoy a lot my work, and uh, and um, I can't wait actually to that this week is happening. I'm almost sad it's almost over, but then looking forward to next year's edition. Thank you so much for sparing us the time. And if I may say so, you still look as if you could play a five-set <laughs> match right now. Yeah, well, I I, I fake it well, you know. <laughs> Richard Krychek, thanks for talking to us on the ATP podcast. Okay, thank you very much. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Choosing to miss out on Delray Beach this week, America's Francis Tiafo instead took to another kind of court at the 2023 All-Star Celebrity NBA match in Salt Lake City. Delray Beach is still the site of his one and only tour title, so it was a big call for the popular character. Delray was my first title five years ago. Five years ago, that's crazy. Big foe is the big man in Delray Beach. Remember this moment, Francis Tiafo taking home his first title. You know, Delray's super relaxed event. Um, you have the Atlantic Ave right, right there. Nice center court, very windy. <laughs> Everyone's super laid back, not so hectic. It's a small town kind of vibe. I'm always going to feel way to Delray for sure. I grew up playing a lot in South Florida and that area, so to win my first title there was pretty cool and, and to be one of my idols, um, Del Porcho. Forget about the fact that you're playing your idol. I mean, you got to obviously put that behind you and try to figure out a way to win if you're TFO. Yeah, I was very nervous for that match. I just really wanted to beat him. It was tough. You know, I've played a couple of times where it's tough battles. And I just wanted to get over the line and barely got over the line that day. So I was, I was happy I got it done against him. He's got him. What a win for Francis Tiafo. Yeah, it was just always to be across the court from Delpo was, was just an honor. And, and, to, and to be able to shake his hand with a win, you know, was, was something I'll never forget. And I'm happy that was our last time playing. Two great athletes like these guys are. And you got the potential for greatness. Yeah, I remember with, with Chung, we had absolute battle. He was playing crazy. That was the same year he beat Novak Australian Open. You know, he was playing some of the best times of his life. Young Chung won the inaugural uh, next-gen final in Milan. And followed it up with a successful run at the Australian Open to start the year. Yeah, I mean, I remember with Chung, we had a rain delay. He had to go come back the next day where I was up, you know, 5-3 and a third, and we had to come back the next day. That was, you know, it was tough to sleep. As they're trying to resume this uh, quarterfinal match. Francis Tiafo will play in the semis tonight against Denis Shapovalov. Shapovalov's young and also playing some of the best tennis of his life. From one great one to one great performance. Yeah, it was, it was a tough day, but um, a day to remember. And Jimmy, this is really one of those times, a chance for a couple of young players to throw down, to put it out there. Any of these guys could win it. And, and this is what is so wonderful about tennis at this time. That's it. 
And he launches that one in celebration of reaching his first ATP final. I've, I felt really excited going into that final. I think um, I felt really confident, but at the same time, he beat like three, four Americans going in. So like, I hope I don't get added to that list, but I felt confident. Welcome in everyone. 2018 Delray Beach Open. DFO can become the youngest American to claim a title since Andy Roddick. I remember I served well. It was really windy. I remember I was kind of just hacking at the ball a lot and just he was a little slow. I think he was a bit tired and, and, and he was off. Oh, man. Yeah, and uh, TFO's looking like a genius now. That's a great strike. Francis TFO going for his first title and he's in the driver's seat. Remember, I missed the first serve and I was like, I'm not kicking this second serve and I'm going for an ace. Big foe is the big man in Delray Beach. Remember this moment, Francis Tiafo taking home his first title. It starts in Delray Beach. Got him in a second serve ace and fell to the ground and I'm so excited my dad was there. I mean, having my dad there was big, um, just in the sense that, you know, he, he understand all the work I put in, you know, what it takes to get to that moment. And um, that took a young age, 20 years old, fresh 20 years old win a title and the players I beat to win that title so um, he was really proud and you know I was happy that he was able to walk over me. I also want to thank my dad for everything he did um, you know I don't know if you guys heard the story but he did a hell of a lot for me to even be playing tennis to standing here now and um, I really appreciate him and everything he did. I think I was much more raw kind of just went out and played I think now you kind of like overthink it a little bit now that you're older and your perspective and you know I mean, back then I was just kind of playing and enjoying, but you know, you don't really understand the magnitude of things. It was a great milestone and it was great to have it done. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, wait so long to get their first title. So to have it done that early in my career was, was, was really cool. About this first title. You know, I, was, I won that title at 20. You know, and guys were putting a lot of expectation on us. You know, that year, you know, I finished in the top 40 at 20 years old. So, you know, there's a lot of expectation. And I think uh, my game was ready for it, but I don't think mentally I was. And I think now I'm much more, you know, comfortable with myself, comfortable, you know, where I am in life, and, and, and I'm playing great tennis. I just, I just want to win a title. Um, I think that's be kind of my next thing, but ultimately, just win a Grand Slam. I think I'm at that place now where the slams really matter. The slams is where, you know, I want to be best equipped, prepared mentally, physically, emotionally, and, um, you know, after the US Open and seeing what that impact was and seeing what that meant, not only to, you know, for me and my family and whatever, but what it meant to, you know, people of color and stuff like that. So slams is, is my focus. Thank you. Slams and major tour titles, no doubt also the focus for another youngster who made some giant leaps forward in 2022, Holger Runa. None more so than in beating Novak Djokovic to win his first Masters 1000 title in Paris, a victory that also booked him a place as an alternate at the tour ending Nito ATP Finals. I really hoped to play in Turin, but it wasn't possible and uh, it was okay. I mean, it was great to be there, but honestly, I was just super pumped after Paris. It gave me even more motivation and stuff. And I, I played a couple of exhibition tournaments in the preseason and won both of them actually. So I was on a good role and it's, it's you know, both things is important. So it was, I guess it was good to, to have some time off as well. And of course, what Turin brought you, even if you weren't able to play competitive matches there, was the chance to practice with the very top guys in the world, all of them. So what did that 
allow you to do? What did that bring you? I think it's good because it uh, keeps me very sharp because they are so good and you know they are there for a reason. It's because they are at the top of the game and to be a part, like a small part of that, almost a part of that, was really cool. You know because it showed that I've been doing really well last year and uh, you know this year my goal is definitely to qualify and not only be alternative. But uh, it was really a good experience and uh, also nice. You know now I know the conditions. Sure, we've been asking every player this week what they feel the big stories of 2023 are going to be. Obviously, we've seen Novak start the year particularly impressively, but who are going to be the players you feel that are going to challenge him? And uh, do feel free to include yourself in this storyline if you so desire. Yeah, um, it's definitely tough to stop him, without a doubt. Uh, I was the last man to do it. Uh, so, of course, I'll say I have a chance to do it. Um, but also we, we saw Alcaraz did it last year. Um, he's been out with an injury, but he's, he's such a strong player. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. And, and, you know, Rafa is obviously the king of clay. So uh, that's also going to be interesting to see how he's going to come back at, at the clay season. And if he's healthy, which we all hope, it's, uh, he's very dangerous. Um, yeah, so I won't say more. <laughs> and do you feel at the start of this year that you have picked up where you left off in 2022? I think a few things better, um, which is nice, even though the result wasn't as I hoped for, but uh, I've, I've improved a lot of things. And, you know, I've never done so good an outdoor high court as I did in the beginning of the year. So if you look at it this way, it's a, it's a positive sign, but obviously extremely disappointing that I couldn't go further at the Australian Open. But, you know, this is, you know, it's life. You can't win all the time. Um, you have to accept it sometimes and, and try to learn. I'm only 19, so I have you know a bunch of things I need to learn. Good luck, Holger, learning and thank winning. You. And thank you for talking to thank us on the ATP Tennis Podcast. With 15 career titles under his belt and a 16-week stint already as number one in the Pepperstone ATP rankings, Daniel Medvedev is firmly established as one of the leading players in the world. But one great leveller is parenthood. Even he is still getting used to juggling work and home life with a four-month-old. Yeah, I really like it. You know, it's uh, for sure uh, much tougher for my wife because, as I say, you know, I was in Australia, so, uh, you know, I just uh, talk... Uh, Talk to my daughter on the on the video and all is fine and it's my, my wife is doing all the job uh, back back home so uh, my my job uh, is not that tough and uh, I really like it and uh, yeah she's she's great she's pretty calm and it's a lot of uh, good emotions and uh, new uh, um, you learn new things and you know it's like yeah you you see new life growing and that's a great feeling. At the Australian Open to return to the tennis, I think you said that. Your shots are there, you're doing the right things. It feels a bit like the end of last year when you were in Turin, where you couldn't have come any closer to winning the three matches that you played, uh, and yet you were on the wrong end of all three. Is this a sort of continued pattern? And what is missing? Yeah, that's, uh, that's what tennis is about, you know, uh, if we uh, put the big three apart because it's a little bit different in terms of titles they have and everything all the other players from what I see even in the past it's you know sometimes it's up and down and the question is who has more ups than downs to be at the top and that's how you are at the top of the rankings that's how you uh, win the best tournaments in the world 
Uh, and many times it's just about confidence, you know, I, if I start talking about uh, tournaments, the big tournaments that I won or some uh, in a row when I was like in some finals in a row, there were some matches where, you know, I was saving set points, winning tie breaks and that's what missing a little bit because again, the match with Korda, uh, if I look back at it, uh, for sure three sets to love to him. So yeah, kind of easy, but at the same time, uh, first set, uh, I think I would have one or two set points, at least it was a tight tie break. Uh, third set tie break, you just have to gain confidence uh, back and start winning these uh, tight matches. And yeah, start serving better in important moments. Um, and uh, I think uh, I can only get it uh, by practicing hard and trying even better on the, on the matches. Do you know where the confidence went? Because if that is what's missing, I mean, middle of last year, you were world number one. I mean, it was, it's hard to sort of pinpoint where it started going. Yeah, the thing is that I can only guess, uh, and I don't like to guess, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, when you guess, you don't know where the truth is. And the thing about tennis is that you never know. Uh, it could be, you know, easily the match against Rafa, could be other things, uh, you know, uh, could be many things happened last year in, uh, in my life where I was uh, in a way uh, maybe unconsciously distracted from tennis because consciously I was always there. Uh, and uh, yeah, in, in general, I didn't manage to have a high level on uh, all the tournaments I played. And uh, that's why I am uh, where I am right now. But again, I know that uh, I have the tennis to come back. It's just uh, the matter of fact uh, how to do it and when. Looking back, how hard is it to be number one? I don't know. Uh, I heard from other people, even ex-tennis players, you know, who are maybe working on TV now, that when they look back, they say it was tough and uh, that, yeah, in a way, life changed. Uh, you know, talking with my experience, um, if I look at my rankings, my results, I have to say it's tough, but I didn't, I didn't feel much. I felt uh, really happy to be there because, again, uh, being number one is last 52 weeks. You get uh, more points than anyone else and that's, uh, that's it. There is uh, no discussion. So I was really happy to be there. Uh, I had, uh, you know, a lot of points coming uh, from, uh, from, from the results I made. And I was happy to be in that position where uh, everyone for sure wants to beat you maybe even more because it's kind of a thing to beat the world number one. But I was... Happy to be in that position and I wanted to stay there as long as possible. So I, I don't think it was um, the problem for me. But at the same time, um, many people say it could be. So it's, uh, it's about guessing, you know. I, I, I don't know where the truth Finally this week, a player well accustomed to success at this time of year. Formerly a champion in both Buenos Aires and Rio. So how did Argentina's Diego Schwartzman do when he was quizzed? on his own career. Argentina, Diego Schwarzman. How well is your memory? Not sure, let's see. I think it, uh, my career is good. All right, let's, let's see how well you remember things. Who did you get your first win on the ATP tour against? Uh, Bellucci, 2013 in Buenos Aires. Easy one. Hometown tournament. Too easy to start yeah. <laughs> Where did you play your first ATP Tour match? Uh, Viña del Mar. Yeah. Against uh, Ceballos. I won the first set. Yeah. Then I lost. Yeah. Do you remember what year? Uh, 20... 
No, 2013, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same year. Just the week before Buenos Aires. Yeah, it was a good uh, play season, South America, yeah. Who was your first top 10 win? Silic, US Open. No? No. Maybe Dominic. Dominic? But I don't remember where. Clay? No, no, Montreal? Montreal, yeah. Where for the year? 2017. Spot on. Yeah. What tournament did you win your first ATP title at? Uh, Istanbul against uh, Grigor. Year? Uh, 2016. It was very nice. I mean, I didn't expect it was my first final. Uh, it was very nice for me, yeah. When did you first beat Rafael Nadal? First and only <laughs> in Rome, <laughs> yeah. Schwartzman conjures up a memorable win in the Eternal City. What was that feeling like? Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, also, many times I felt great on court, having chances against him, but at the end, he's always winning, so winning against him was very special. What year did you play the Nico 1985? In uh, 2020, yeah. Diego bursts into life. When did you first play Roger Federer? Uh, Roland Garros. I played against him second round 2014. Roland Garros. Yeah, trying to mess you up. <laughs> it was a good match. I mean, I, I think at the beginning of my career playing ATP uh, Tour, the first tournaments I, I did, I played against Rafa, Roger, Novak very soon, you know? But uh, some guys at that time said to me, you don't have lucky, you are playing good, but playing against these guys, difficult to win the first time. But that, I think uh, it was great to play against them on court at the beginning of my career on ATP Tour, yeah. What year did you win Buenos Aires? 2021. What was it like to win your title on home floor? Unbelievable. I, I've, I, if I have to choose one of the four I, I won, uh, that's the one. First time winning a title in Argentina after too many years without an Argentinian winning, it was it was very special for me, for the organization, for the people there. Yeah. Who did you beat for your 200 victory on tour? This one, no idea. No, no idea. Close by. Against Casper, Indian Wells? Ah, what? But it was October. In the West. Yeah, October in the world. With that guy over there. <laughs> How do you think you get before you get out? Ah, in incredible. Hopefully you were able to make out those questions. ATP Uncovered having some fun there with one of the most popular guys on tour. That is it for this time. Check out the podcast channel in the week when we have an exclusive sit-down with Schwartzman's fellow countryman, Sebastian Baez. That's worth a listen. And I will be back next weekend with more exclusives and features from life on the ATP Tour. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the ATP WTA Live app for all the latest scores, draws and running orders. You can also watch all the action on Tennis TV and you can read even more Great content on atptour.com. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.